0: Amen. Hey. Amen. yes, we give it up for our seniors today. Oh, I'm so proud of them. I love, we're taking time in all of our services today to make sure that we get to see them and pray over them. Their celebrations really are our celebrations as we go through this journey together. Uh, my name's Janet Galante, and I'm one of the ministers here. I get to work especially with a lot of our college students, so I'm super excited for them, and I'm excited for our high school seniors who will be graduating and joining us in college ministry. And so good to be able to have these moments together and journey through life with you. I know a lot of students right now are super stressed, so I do wanna make sure I mention that college students, tonight is our last college night, that's at 5.30, and then around 6.30 or 7 or so, we'll transition into the best part, which is our study party, because that is definitely a party where you are studying. Uh, We will have plenty of food, we'll have pancakes, all sorts of stuff, so high school seniors and up, grad students, whoever's studying and stressed, you're welcome to come to the church, we'll be here till midnight, Uh, we'd love to have you there. And I also want to make sure I highlight what Adam said as well about our First Things First lunch. If you're looking for more information about our church or looking to get connected or have some questions, join us for that. After the third service, we'll get to hang out with Ethan Magnus and eat lunch as well. So be sure to come to that. Well, today we're finishing up a series called Surprised By. And so far, we've talked about being surprised by life and surprised by the church. And I just love this series' name personally because... I love surprises. Does anyone else here love surprises? I think there are a lot of people who I've heard kind of rebel against this and say, I hate surprises. And I got to tell you, I think you're lying because I just think you haven't had a good surprise yet. So I hope that a good surprise comes your way. My best surprise was years ago. I remember when Michael and I were just dating and I knew he was going to propose soon. We had been dating a while, we had been talking about marriage. He kind of slipped up and accidentally told me he was going to propose before the year ended, so that was a big hint. And then another time, he accidentally dropped a business card, and I just was helping him pick up something he dropped, and it was a business card to a jewelry store. So, all right, this is adding up, you know. And I tend to be a suspicious person, so, you know, I was on the lookout. I was ready. When is this proposal happening? I was looking for it every single moment I could. So when we made the plan to visit Knoxville over Thanksgiving to see his family, and he mentioned, let's go hike the Smoky Mountains while we're there, I was convinced that is when we're getting engaged. I was so excited. I was ready. It was so obvious. I mean, he loves the mountains. We were going to be in his hometown. It was going to be great. And I still remember, we're hiking up the mountain, and I have this pep in my step, I'm about to get engaged, there's no ring here now, but there would be soon. And my twin sister even told me, you should get your nails done just in case. <laughs> so we get to the top of the mountain, and I'm looking around, maybe over there? No, over there? Okay, no. And then we, we hike back down the mountain, and I'm a bit confused. I don't see a ring there, we're not engaged. I mean, I was pretty mad, to be honest. I wasn't just confused. And I remember at the end of the day, I was so mad that I even told him that I was mad he didn't propose. Which, relationship advice, I really don't recommend doing that. That's probably not a nice thing to do, but he handled it well. Uh, He didn't break up with me or anything, so that was good. But a few weeks later, I went to New York City with some friends on a day trip. And we were there just to see all the Christmassy stuff, you know, Central Park, the lights, the markets, whatever. We went everywhere, Times Square. And we ended the day right under the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. And someone tapped me on the shoulder. And it was a familiar tap. Michael. And I turned around, and there's Michael, and he proposed right there in the middle of the city in front of all my friends. And I was shocked. I mean, I had no idea this would happen. I thought, surely he's going to propose in the mountains. He loves the mountains. I mean, I do love cities too, but I thought he'd pick his hometown. And he waited until I was surrounded by friends to propose there. He took up a separate bus and everything. I never saw it coming. I mean, it's so crazy to think that before I was disappointed that he didn't surprise me with proposing on the mountain. But what he did was so much better. I actually was surprised. I didn't think I'd ever be surprised by that, but he got me good. And today we're gonna talk about another surprise that might be different than maybe you were expecting. We're gonna talk about being surprised by hope. Because what do Christians hope for anyway? What do we even look forward to? We surely have to know the answer to that question. And when we talk about the Christian hope, our minds often jump to heaven. What's heaven like? What's it like there? And we can stumble over that question at times because I think there's a lot of uncertainty around that. What is heaven like? We often picture this airy place full of clouds, harps, somewhere out there, who knows where. You know, it kind of looks like that. And then, you know, if you Google heaven, I think it brings up a lot of the images we have in our own head just like that. There's clouds, there's sunshine. That looks good, right? It's majestic. It's grand. Or we have another one. Maybe this is what we're imagining, like, yeah, that guy's going places. That's great. Yay. I don't know where he's going, but he's going somewhere. That seems positive. And We have one more. Uh, this one, it has, there's birds, and I guess birds are good if we're putting them in heaven, so we should be happy about that. There's kind of a nice little glow back there, too, so yeah, maybe that's what we're looking forward to. Is that our hope. And we can look at that and we kind of find ourselves wondering, I mean, that's great and all, there's nothing wrong with that, but is that it? Is that all? Is that all that we're wondering, that we're looking forward to? It makes me think of this cartoon I found. It kind of captures this idea a bit. Wish I'd brought a magazine. It's just sitting there. And you can look at that and think, Yeah, am I just going to be sitting on a cloud forever? Is that eternity? It looks like it's surely missing something. So when we picture heaven looking like that, well, it doesn't seem all that hopeful. It leaves us wanting more, hoping for more, and we want to be surprised by hope, and some of you are waiting to be surprised by what happens when we die. But when you're imagining it looking like all these images here, well, you're just thinking, can I really hope for that? Is that actually what that hope is supposed to be? So you're not excited. You're not looking forward to it. And if Christianity is supposed to bring us hope, well then this is a problem. If Jesus came to give us hope, then we've gotta be missing something if we're not even sure what we're hopeful about. So today, we're going to explore what the Christian hope actually is. I think for many of us, we're used to equating the word hope to mean heaven. As I just talked about, we think hope and we jump to heaven. And when we say heaven, we're often talking about the eternal state of those who are being saved, the experience you have forever when you die. But today I don't want to use the word heaven to describe that, I just want to say the Christian hope. Because by using the word heaven to talk about this, I think we're actually confusing ourselves a little. Let me explain, the Bible doesn't say that the Christian hope is heaven. The Bible says heaven is the arena where God reigns. And the day will come when that arena will extend throughout the heavens and the earth. So we have an earthly hope and a heavenly hope because they're going to unite, they're going to come together. So hear this, we want to summarize it maybe this way, that the eternal hope of Christians, as articulated by the Bible, is a restored earth where God reigns. Hear that again, the eternal hope for Christians, as we see in the Bible, we're going to see that in a minute, is a restored earth where God reigns. We see this first in the book of Isaiah. It says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. And this is important here, that this is the first time we see God's picture of hope includes new heavens and a new earth. So remember that phrase. It says, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. And we notice here, the passage references Jerusalem, a city, a physical place. This is actually something we can wrap our minds around, isn't it? And it says it's not a new city. I mean, it's a city they know. It's just restored and recreated. And it goes on to paint a beautiful picture of what that place is like. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people, my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands." And Don't you love that? Think about all the time and energy we spend today, we waste today on things that won't turn out, or things that will become someone else's success. They'll enjoy the fruit of our labors. And in the restored earth, that won't happen. Every project you work on will succeed. Every garden you plant will bear fruit. It says they will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. So this is the image we get of the new heavens and the new earth. And I want to unpack that here because there's so much there. First, we see in our future hope, it's not that we go up to heaven to meet God, but rather God comes to earth to be with us here on a newly restored earth, a place that's the world as it should be. And it's a place where life actually seems quite familiar, doesn't it? It's not foreign to us. It's just everything we've been longing for. It's this bodily experience. Look at the examples we're given. We see that it speaks of infants and old men living out their years. There's houses for us to dwell in. There's this physicality there, places to build, vineyards to plant, food to eat. We're going to get to eat. I mean, can you imagine? This is a world where we can eat to our fill without thinking about calories or weight or wondering if it'll make us sick or allergies. It's a world where everyone lives out their years, Babies aren't dying. The old aren't even old. And we'll enjoy our work. It won't be exhausting or fruitless, but it'll be something we do out of joy. And this is going to be such a peaceful place that we see even the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. And I just love reading that phrase in particular because I can't imagine a restored earth without animals. I mean, that just sounds so beautiful to me. Maybe I can go hang out with the wolf and the lamb there. And I bet there's something in this passage that makes you excited too as you read this, that we see, think of some of the stuff that you enjoy on this earth. Because maybe what scares you about the idea of the Christian hope is you're imagining heaven like those pictures we showed before, where you don't get to do anything fun. But as this passage shows, I really think there's something for everyone. Maybe you're an architect, an engineer, or you're just someone who likes to work with your hands. Well, this says here there's going to be houses to build. You'll get to design and build and create on this new, restored earth. You will enjoy the work of your hands. Or maybe you love cooking and feeding others, or you enjoy gardening. You can plant and nurture life from the ground up. And we're going to worship. We're going to worship God in a way that we've never gotten to experience here. God, face to face. And it's so important for us to realize that God's design for us, God's hope for us, isn't far off. It's not distant and removed. It's not up in the clouds, but it's God restoring this earth to what it should be. This is God's redeeming work, that God will bring heaven to earth, and everything that is good about this earth will be there. Because the eternal hope, as we see in the Bible, is a restored earth where God reigns. So you're not losing the things that you love here. You get to truly enjoy them, the way that God designed them to be, eating, building, exploring, truly living, the kind of life we already long for. And I think this is a hope worth hoping for. This is a hope we can truly hope for. Now, I know we say the word hope a lot in churches, And sometimes, depending on what's going on in your life, it can sound shallow or superficial. It can ring hollow a little bit, can't it? It can be hard to feel hope in the middle of your situation. Maybe you're in something that's so overwhelming and so sad that how can you even possibly think about hope right now? Maybe you already checked out when you heard that we were going to talk about hope today. If you were here last week, we got to hear about Avery's story a little bit, and she talked about being in a place like that, where she wanted to hope, but she didn't feel hopeful. She prayed for it, but could she really hope? Maybe you relate to that. Maybe you're there. And I've got to admit, that's sort of where I am right now, too. And I'm actually there for pretty much the same reason as Avery. You see, I should have been 18 weeks pregnant today. But I'm not. I'm not pregnant anymore. And it's been in this situation that I've found myself feeling probably the least hopeful I ever have. I mean, how do you even hope in this? It's felt like, can I even hope? That seems wrong. And I will just say that last week, we talked about being surprised by the church, and the beauty of my surprise has been that Avery has showed up for me and been a surprise in her own care. She received care from the church, and then she shared that care with me. The Bible teaches us that we can comfort others with the comfort we've received, and I really got to experience that. But I do wanna say that, you know, we referenced miscarriages now last week and this week, that this is something that is heavy. And if you're someone who's experiencing this or struggling with this, we do want to make sure you create space that if you need someone to walk with or some support from your church family, we'd love if you would just reach out to Lisa Blankenship. She's the staff counselor, uh, and her information should be on the screen. And go ahead and reach out to her as you figure out how to walk forward in this path. Because I know for me, it's been hard to hope. I don't know how to find hope in this journey at times. And I remember a few weeks back, Ethan and I were talking about the sermons that were coming up, and he asked if I wanted to do this one, surprised by hope. And I found that I did. I found myself saying yes to that. And I made that decision in the days immediately following getting the news that I was having a miscarriage. And I guess I decided to, because I really did want to know, what hope do I have? What hope does Jesus bring? I guess I wanted to be surprised by that hope. I needed that surprise. And as I've wrestled with this grief and loss, I've been reminded that the world is broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And we see signs of that all around us, don't we? We know people who have died of a cancer that surely we should have a cure for by now. We see violence in our world, left and right, from school shootings to war. We can't seem to escape it. We experience relational hurt and pain in every type of relationship, from marriage to family members to friendships, whatever it may be. And every time we experience this brokenness of the world, it leaves us wrecked. How can we feel hope? How can we feel hope when we're grieving? How can we feel hope when we're suffering, when we're in despair? How can we feel hope? But what if what Isaiah is teaching us is that hope isn't actually a feeling, that hope is a reality? We see that the Bible talks about eternal hope. It makes this claim that we can hope, and it teaches us that hope is not a feeling we feel when we're in the middle of a broken place. But hope is a future reality we will experience when brokenness will be made whole. We see, hope isn't a feeling that we feel when they're in the middle of something hard and broken. But hope is a future reality that we believe we will experience when brokenness will be made whole. So hope isn't a feeling, it's a reality. The Bible tells us what it will be like when that reality happens, that heaven and earth will collide, they'll meet, never to be separated. So we declare that hope isn't this feeling, but hope is that declaration. It's that reality that heaven and earth will meet. Our reality is that God is coming to reign on this earth. Heaven and earth are coming together. And we're going to experience the world in ways that are more true and better than we've ever known. And Isaiah 65 tells us that we can dream of this better world that we're not dreaming of a cloud world, a sky world, or a heart world, a world where we wish we had a magazine, but a true world, a real world, a world made whole, a world as it should be. So even when I don't feel like hoping, it's okay. Because my lack of feeling happy or excited or whatever doesn't change this truth that God will come from heaven and renew this world. And so when I read this passage, I see that profound nature of the healing that God will accomplish on earth, the final plan for God's creation, including us, that we see that, that it's a place where all brokenness is made new, where all broken things can be healed and made whole. So if you thought that your eternal hope was a cloud and a bird and a rainbow, well, then I've got some news for you you're gonna be surprised, and you get to be surprised by hope. You get to be surprised by just how healed this world can be, that though we feel the brokenness of this world, we know that God will surprise us with hope. And we see more visions of this all throughout the Bible. We see this in Revelation. It says that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death No more mourning, no more crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's a vision of hope right there. We see the city descending to earth, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to meet earth and God now dwells among us fully. God meets us on earth once and for all that God's reign in heaven is fully extended and breaking into the world and God's healing and restorative action are spreading everywhere. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be defeated, mourning, crying, pain, all those signs of the brokenness of this world, gone. Because we can all agree that the world is broken. But when God looks at the brokenness of this world, God doesn't leave it that way. God fixes it. God redeems it. God heals it. And the reality of our hope isn't that God is going to come whisk us away to someplace out there where we'll sit on the clouds. And maybe that's the surprise you were expecting. But the surprise is so much better. That the reality of our hope is God will come to reign on earth. God will make it whole. God will restore it. God will bring goodness and healing to the world. And God sees the brokenness that you're experiencing on a daily basis and puts it back together. That's the reality of our hope. And that's something we can look forward to, isn't it? But I think it's not just something we look forward to, we also see that the kingdom of heaven is something God invites us to participate in right now. We see this when Jesus came. He spoke of the kingdom of heaven constantly. He said, the kingdom of heaven is coming near. Repent. He proclaimed this good news. Hear the good news. The kingdom of heaven is near. Believe this. Believe the good news. Jesus' good news to the world was this, that the kingdom of God was close. And he taught the disciples to pray for this. I'm going to read a little bit of a prayer. You might not know it. This is one of the most famous Christian prayers, and it's a way that Jesus teaches us to pray. But if you just hear at the beginning these words, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And it goes on to pray about a lot of other great stuff, daily bread, forgiveness. Make sure you check out that prayer. It's a great way to guide your own prayer life. But today I want you to notice how it starts, that it talks about heaven, heaven which is not our eternal hope, but then it talks about the establishment of the reign of God on earth, which is our eternal hope. So we pray in this prayer that our eternal hope would be accomplished right before our eyes, that we would see it that God's reign on heaven would be brought to the earth right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because remember, hope isn't a feeling. It's a reality. And we talked about the future, that hope is this future reality where heaven will come to earth one day. So hope is a future reality. But it's also a present reality that we get to be a part of the kingdom of God coming to earth right now. We're taught to pray for it, and we're taught to act like it. We're taught to bring God's kingdom to earth. So when you help a hungry person be full, you are bringing God's kingdom to earth. When you forgive someone, restore a relationship and seek reconciliation, you are bringing God's kingdom of heaven to earth. When you help a disobedient person repent and change their ways and heal, you are bringing God's kingdom to earth. When you advocate for someone who is being overlooked or mistreated, you are living out that kingdom work, you are bringing God's kingdom to earth. So how do we wait for the establishment of heaven on earth? Well, we work. And we wait. Because all at the same time, we recognize that our best and most profound efforts might not really make that much progress in the brokenness of the world. So our working is, in fact, still waiting. We work knowing that we are waiting, knowing that God is the one who will actually accomplish healing in this world once and for all, because what we can't finish, God will finish. So we work, we trust that we're doing our best, but what we can't finish, God will finish. Hear this image of the kingdom of God. When Jesus was asked what he compared the kingdom of God to, he said, It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all throughout the dough. And this image, it's so crucial to our understanding of the Christian hope. I just love it. You can see the kingdom of God being worked into the earth around us like yeast into dough. That it starts out small until it's mixed throughout. Throughout. And the effects are seen everywhere. And so maybe those examples I gave of how we live out God's kingdom seem small. They do seem small. Maybe they seem fruitless. Can we really experience and see God's kingdom in this broken world? Can it be healed or redeemed? And Jesus says it can. And Jesus tells you to be a part of it, that we get to be a part of it. Small kingdom works one at a time being worked into the world around us. Jesus calls us to work. But while we work, we know we're waiting. On days where it doesn't seem like enough, we remember Jesus will come again. God's reign is coming fully to earth, and one day heaven and earth will join, never to be separated. So what do we do with this? Well, I want to talk for a moment just to our grads. I know a lot of them, you're kind of on the edge of something new and exciting. So what do you do with this message? How do you live this out? Well, first, you've got to work. I hope, grads, as you go into whatever your next season of life is, whatever that might be, that you would get to work, that you would show justice and mercy to others, that you would feed the hungry, comfort the morning, get to work. Good for you. It would be so amazing to see you help people taste and see the kingdom of God on earth. But you've also got to know that part of the working is waiting, that whatever else is ahead for you in life, that there's still some waiting that we recognize that our best efforts are still filled with brokenness. And that ultimately, while we wait for God to create this heaven and new earth, we know that that is our hope, that God will bring it about. The ultimate hope is we wait for God to accomplish this. So that's true for all of us. We get to work and we wait. And if you're not sure how to get started with this, I hope you'll start here, right here at FCC, at this church. Because you see, churches are just kingdom-building communities. That's what we do. We gather together to celebrate our future hope that we know God is coming to reign on earth. We celebrate that together. We worship God for that. But we also get together to work on this present hope that God's kingdom is breaking in right now and we can be a part of it. So join into this community, get on an outreach team. You can join the team that delivers flowers to the nursing home across the street, or the team that goes to West Main and feeds the hungry every week. Get on the the handyman team. They help repair people's homes who aren't able to repair them themselves. Or get in a small group. You'll hear us talk soon about an upcoming sermon study that we'll have going on. Jump into one of those if you're not in a group. Or go to a Sunday school class, one of our groups, because our groups really are these places where we gather together to live out the kingdom of God. We are bases for God's kingdom work. We encourage each other. We learn about God's kingdom, we study it, and we put it into action. Together we work. And together, we wait. We gather to cling to this hope that God's reign is coming to earth. And in just a moment, we're going to worship. We're going to praise God for that fact that God's kingdom is coming to earth. But if you're here today and you're experiencing some brokenness, or if you need prayer, I want to invite you to come forward at the end of the service and we'll pray for you during the song, after the song, whenever. We would love to pray for you. Or if you need to take a next step, like joining the church, getting baptized, we would love to invite you to come forward during this song. Because that's what the church is all about, that we would be that kingdom base. And I don't know what brokenness you're experiencing today, or what you've been through. I don't know how hopeful any of you feel today, but the reason I have hope isn't because I feel hopeful. I have hope because there is a future reality where brokenness will be made whole and God will accomplish this. We praise God that hope isn't a feeling that we feel when we're in a broken place but rather hope is a future reality we will experience when brokenness will be made whole. And we encourage each other with this truth. God's reign is coming to earth. This is the Christian hope. Will you pray with me? God, we look to you right now And we praise you for this truth, that your hope is bigger than our feelings, it's bigger than the brokenness we experience, but we know and trust that you are coming to earth. You will reign here. We will see this world be made whole. We will see it be healed. And right now, God, we long for that. We look to you right now and just ask that you would teach us how to live this kingdom out here on earth. And we thank you and praise you for what you've done and what you will do. We pray this in Jesus' name together, amen.